Chapter four of the Vicar of Wakefield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tige Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Chapter four. A proof that even the humblest fortune may grant happiness, which depends not on circumstance, but constitution. The place of our retreat was in a little neighbourhood consisting of farmers, who tilled their own grounds and were equal strangers to opulence and poverty. As they had almost all the contrivances of life within themselves, they seldom visited towns or cities in search of superfluity. Remote from the polite, they still retained the primeval simplicity of manners, and frugal by habit they scarce knew that temperance was a virtue. They wrought with cheerfulness on days of labour, but observed festivals as intervals of idleness and pleasure. They kept up the Christmas carol, sent true love knots on Valentine morning, eat pancakes on Shrovetide, showed their wit on the first of April, and religiously cracked nuts on Michaelmas Eve. Being apprised of our approach, the whole neighbourhood came out to meet their minister, dressed in their finest clothes, and preceded by a pipe and tabor. A feast was also provided for our reception, at which we sat cheerfully down, and what the conversation wanted in wit was made up in laughter. Our little habitation was situated at the foot of a sloping hill, sheltered with a beautiful underwood behind and a prattling river before. On one side was a meadow, on the other a green. My farm consisted of about twenty acres of excellent land, having given an hundred pound for my predecessor's good will. Nothing could exceed the neatness of my little enclosures, the elms and hedgerows appearing with inexpressible beauty. My house consisted of but one story, and was covered with thatch, which gave it an air of great snugness. The walls on the inside were nicely whitewashed, and my daughters undertook to adorn them with pictures of their own designing. Though the same room served us for parlour and kitchen, that only made it the warmer. Besides, as it was kept with the utmost neatness, the dishes, plates, and coppers being well scoured, and all disposed in bright rows upon the shelves, the eye was agreeably relieved, and did not want richer furniture. There were three other apartments, one for my wife and me, another for our two daughters within our own, and the third with two beds for the rest of the children. The little republic to which I gave laws was regulated in the following manner. By sunrise we all assembled in our common apartment, the fire being previously kindled by the servant. After we had saluted each other with proper ceremony, for I always thought fit to keep up some mechanical forms of good breeding, without which freedom ever destroys friendship, we all bent in gratitude to that being which gave us another day. This duty being performed, my son and I went to pursue our usual industry abroad, while my wife and daughters employed themselves in providing breakfast, which was always ready at a certain time. I allowed half an hour for this meal, and an hour for dinner, which time was taken up in innocent mirth between my wife and daughters, and in philosophical arguments between my son and me. As we rose with the sun, so we never pursued our labours after it was gone down, but returned home to the expecting family, where smiling looks, a treat heart, and pleasant fire were prepared for our reception. Nor were we without guests. Sometimes Farmer Flamborough, our talkative neighbour, and often the blind piper, would pay us a visit and taste our gooseberry wine, for the making of which we had lost neither the receipt nor the reputation. These harmless people had several ways of being good company. While one played, the other would sing some soothing ballad, Johnny Armstrong's Last Good Night, or The Cruelty of Barbara Allen. 
the night was concluded in the manner we began the morning my youngest boys being appointed to read the lessons of the day and he that read loudest distinctest and best was to have an halfpenny on sunday to put in the poor's box when sunday came it was indeed a day of finery which all my sumptuary edicts could not restrain how well soever i fancied my lectures against pride had conquered the vanity of my daughters yet i still found them secretly attached to all their finery they still loved laces ribbons bugles and catgut my wife herself retained a passion for her crimson padwasoy because i formerly happened to say it became her the first sunday in particular their behaviour served to mortify me i had desired my girls the preceding night to be dressed early the next day for i always loved to be at church a good while before the rest of the congregation they punctually obeyed my directions but when we were to assemble in the morning at breakfast down came my wife and daughters dressed out in all their former splendour their hair plastered up with pomatum their faces patched to taste their trains bundled up into an heap behind and rustling at every motion i could not help smiling at their vanity particularly that of my wife for whom i expected more discretion in this exigence therefore my only resource was to order my son with an important air to call our coach the girls were amazed at the command but i repeated it with more solemnity than before surely my dear you jest cried my wife we can walk it perfectly well we want no coach to carry us now you mistake child returned i we do want a coach for if we walk to church in this trim the very children of the parish will hoot after us indeed replied my wife i always imagined that my charles was fond of seeing his children neat and handsome about him you may be as neat as you please interrupted i and i shall love you the better for it but all this is not neatness but frippery these rufflings and pinkings and patchings will only make us hated by the wives of all our neighbours no my children continued i more gravely those gowns may be altered into something of a plainer cut for finery is very unbecoming in us who want the means of decency i do not know whether such flouncing and shredding is becoming even in the rich if we consider upon a moderate calculation that the nakedness of the indigent world may be clothed from the trimmings of the vein this remonstrance had the proper effect they went with great composure that very instant to change their dress and the next day i had the satisfaction of finding my daughters at their own request employed in cutting up their trains into sunday waistcoats for dick and bill the two little ones and what was still more satisfactory the gown seemed improved by this curtailing End of chapter four